What's up, nerds? I'm Radio Matt, the new host of LTN Radio's 80s Nights, every Thursday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, when I bring you a playlist of some of our favorite Christian and mainstream classics from the 80s. And you also get to spend some time with me as I share with you some good old 80s nostalgia. Here's what we talked about this past week. I want to talk to you a little bit about probably my favorite Star Wars movie of the whole... How many are there now? 12? I don't know. There's a lot. But (laughs) my favorite one has always been The Empire Strikes Back, which released in 1980, won a mess of awards from the Academy Awards to the Golden Globes to the Grammys. Like They were all over the place making all kinds of waves in the industry. But one of the most interesting things about this movie to me is that it almost was kind of a different movie. And unfortunately, it was tragedy that kind of made it the movie that we've all come to love. You see, George Lucas did not like writing Star Wars, the first movie. He did not like having to come up with all of the background information, all the lore, all the canon stuff that he knew would eventually have to come into play in the future. It was a tough job for him. Not that he couldn't do it. He just didn't care for it all that much. So when it came time for Star Wars 2, he was looking for somebody to help him write. This help came in the form of science fiction writer Leigh Brackett, whom Lucas met through a friend, excelled in quick-paced dialogue compared to Lucas, and was hired for $50,000. The only problem was she had cancer, and not a lot of answers as to how that would affect her job moving forward. Now, in late 1977, Lucas and Brackett held a story conference, and Lucas had some core ideas in mind that he wanted Brackett to piece together. He had one plot with three subplots set across 60 scenes, 100 page scripts, and a two-hour runtime. That was his goal. They formed a general outline and ideas that included the Wookiee homeworld, new alien species, the Galactic Emperor, a gambler from Han's past, water and city planets, Luke's lost twin sister, and a diminutive frog-like creature, Minch Yoda. Lucas drew on influences including The Thing from Another World, Dune, and Flash Gordon. Brackett took all that info and ran with it, completing her first draft in February of 1978 titled Star Wars Sequel from the Adventures of Luke Skywalker. The draft contained a city in the clouds, a chase through an asteroid belt, a greater focus on the love triangle between Luke, Han, and Leia, who is portrayed as a damsel in distress in this draft, the Battle of Hoth, and a climactic battle between Luke and Darth Vader. That all sounds relatively the same. The ghosts of his father and Obi-Wan visit Luke, leaving Vader a completely separate character. That's a big difference. The draft revealed Luke had a sister, who was not Leia. Han goes on a mission to recruit his powerful stepfather. And Lando is a clone from the Clone Wars. Lucas made detailed notes and attempted to contact Brackett, but she had been hospitalized and died a few weeks later from her cancer. The strict schedule left Lucas no choice but to write a second draft himself. Though several elements of Beckett's version did make it into the movie one way or another, Lucas wasn't overly thrilled with how she portrayed many of the characters. It was different than he attended, so Lucas completed a handwritten 121-page draft six weeks later. Uh, and, uh, you know, as a surprise, found the process more enjoyable <laughs> than the first movie because he was already familiar with the universe. He didn't have to struggle with coming up with all the lore. It was kind of already built into it based on his first work. But he struggled to write a satisfying conclusion. 
Thus, the movie kind of ends on a cliffhanger and leaves it open for a third film, which was not guaranteed at the time. I think it is very interesting how different this movie could have been had the circumstances been a little bit different. Uh, here's a way the movie was different. At least the first two movies of Star Wars really kind of bucked the tradition when it came to how it handled the credits. As with Star Wars, Lucas wanted to place all of the crew credits at the end of the film to avoid inter fearing with the opening. Like if you've watched any other movies from that time or, or earlier, you'll know that it takes like oh, five to seven minutes just to get to the dang movie because you're watching all the credits to begin with. Imagine, I mean, those credits were relatively small back then. Imagine trying to go see, I don't know, Avengers Endgame and having to sit through all the credits at the beginning of the film. Forget it. And uh, that's kind of what Lucas thought, too. The opening of Star Wars is such an iconic and special in it uh, moment that it just it drives home that you're in for an experience. And you don't want to have to, like, put that on pause for the next five minutes going through all these names. The Writers Guild of America and the Directors Guild of America had allowed this for the first film because Lucas directed and it opened with a logo for his namesake, Lucasfilm. But for Empire, they refused to allow Kirshner uh, or the first and second unit directors to be credited only at the end. And Lucas was fined like $250,000 when he just kind of ignored them and did it anyway. They even tried to have the movie removed from theaters. Because Lucas had followed the laws relevant to the United Kingdom where the movie was produced, the Directors Guild of America was unable to sanction him and instead just fined Kirchner $225,000. Lucas paid his fine but was so frustrated that he actually left the Writers Guild of America and the Directors Guild of America and the Motion Picture Association, which would restrict his ability to write and direct future films. But as you know, that didn't really keep the good man down. Of course, this change would eventually become the norm, as most movies these days end with all of their credits, with only occasionally having like the main actors' names at the beginning of the movie, usually kind of tucked away in a corner as the movie's already in progress. I've got a couple fun facts about the movie Empire Strikes Back for you. First of all, while most of Dagobah was filmed on a set built at the Star Wars stage at EMI Elstree Studios, one part was filmed closer to home for George Lucas. The scene where the dragon snake, known as the bog creature to the crew, rises through the muck was filmed in the foundation of George Lucas's own swimming pool as a pickup shot. And speaking of pickups, a pickup truck was used to transport the bog creature to its murky set because they needed a darker shot than the bright California sun was giving them. The pool was rigged with a diffuser screen over the top and two scuba divers manipulated the bog creature prop for filming in the muddy water. And here's another interesting fact. Fans who collected the original action figures might recall that Kenner swapped the names Zuckus and Forlom for the toys made in 1980, but Zuckus almost had another name altogether, Tuckus. Luckily for this bounty hunter, his name was changed from sounding like Tuckus, the Yiddish word for a person's rear end, to using a Z, Zuckus. His name on the call sheet for the film shoot, however, was Lobsterhead. Oh, and the costume for Zuckus used a space-age material. The interior of his eyes was made from a material that became popular in packaging in the 1960s, bubble wrap. 
Now that you're all caught up on what you missed last week, make sure you join me this Thursday night at 6 p.m. Eastern for the next edition of 80s Night, only on LTN Radio.